Kev Smith. It's marketing. That's right. I come to sell. I got things to sell to you, man. Can't all be free. Sometimes you got to put out a little bit, you know? Gas, grass, or ass. No one rides completely free. So sometimes you got to put out for Smartco. Smartco's always putting out for you. Sometimes you put out for us, man. For example, uh, there's some shows I'm going to tell you about where you can actually buy tickets. But first up, let me tell you some shit. Deal with uh, some uh, minutes, if you will, of our Smodco week. There's no new episode of Spoilers this week. We took the week down because we were all at Comic-Con over the weekend. So no new episode of Spoilers this week. But I found a new way for you to waste your time on Smodco. All your free time are belong to us, as we like to say. Or appropriate um, smartcade.com go there right now if you got an iphone you got an ipad download uh, the two games let us dance jay and silent bob and let us dance and jay and silent bob and too fat to fly um the let us dance games totally free uh too fat to fly 99 cent come on 99 cent it is fucking fun man so weird to watch muse uh, play the game sitting there playing with himself and and i can watch it and it's not creepy it's a fun game uh in too fat to fly uh jay launches silent bob into the air you got to keep him up there man get some coins and shit uh it's triumphant tale of a fat man who does get to fly and uh in let us dance uh you keep jay dancing to the beat and uh it combos and he does cute little moves and stuff it's they're adorable man user friendly oh my god you can share them with your kids they're so not dirty um, adorable, almost like Muppet Babies, Smodco Babies, Muppet Babies, uh, if you will. Smarcade.com is the address. Go check it out. We'll have Android versions uh, soon. Hopefully, it'll take a little bit. But right now, if you've got an iPad or an iPhone, there it is. Go play the games, man. Uh, new Fat Man on Batman this week, dropping with Bruce Tim, recorded live at uh, Comic-Con just mere days ago. New Hollywood Babylon, also recorded live at Comic-Con from just mere days ago man but here's an addition something new man new 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 shit you could see some of this week's hollywood babylon at the loud channel go to youtube.com slash loud l-o-u-d and you'll be able to watch 10 minutes from uh, last night's uh, show of hollywood babylon how cool is that uh while you're on uh, youtube man uh, click over our own channel to our own channel YouTube.com slash csmod, S-E-E-S-M-O-D. That is SIT, Smodco Internet Television. We're warehouse lots of our clips for shows here at Smodco, uh, including the show, uh, that new episode of Comic Head, which is really fucking funny, uh, the show that reviews comic books kind of in, in the most animated way. And uh, this week, Comic Head's doing his first DC book, man, and it's Batman versus Bane from Batman, like, 496 back in the day. So check that out. Uh, okay. That's the free, man. Here's some shit you have to put up a little little loot for. But it's in the future, so you get to save up, man. August 11th. If you're anywhere near San Juan Capistrano, you want to come see me and Ralph do Hollywood Babylon. Los Angeles, we're not going to be here for two weeks doing Hollywood Babylon. Ralph's shooting something. He's got a vacation. So uh, I, we're, we're going to, next chance to see us is going to be August 11th at San Juan Capistrano at the Coach House. An amazing a uh, little venue we've uh, performed. Jay and Bob get old there. So check it out. Uh, tickets available at csmod.com. S-E-E-S-M-O-D.com. Portland, Oregon. Me and Mosier are coming. August 17th. Coming hard right in your faces. 
uh, at the Aladdin Theater. It's going to be magical. Live in front of people. Smodcast. Portland, Oregon, August 17th, 8 p.m. show. Tickets at csmod.com. Orlando, uh, Star Wars Celebration is happening deep in you. Balls deep in you. Uh, coming darn soon, August 23rd. I'm going to be there at 7 p.m. doing an evening with Kevin Smith. That's right. You hear how excited my dog is over that? Mulder, shut up. That's right. My dog's name is Mulder. Had one named Scully, too. She died. Guess what? Truth is out there. Orange County Convention Center, Chapin Theater, an evening with Kevin Smith as part of Star Wars Celebration uh, 6, August 23rd, 7 p.m. Come on out. It's going to be a Star Wars-centric Q&A, I assume. Day after that, man, bang, zoom to the moon. I'm flying to uh, August 24th, uh, Fan Expo Canada, man. I just came from San Diego Comic-Con. Now we go up to Canada's version of it uh, in Toronto, T-Dot. Fan Expo, uh, we're going to do Jay and Silent Bob Get Old, August 24th, uh, right there in Toronto. Tickets available, csmod.com. Day after that, man, we're keeping the Canada going, the Canada, the Canada of it all, the Canadian of it all, the Mountie in us. We're mounting up, man. August 25th, me and Ralph, my Ottawa debut. We're going to the Centerpoint Theater, me and Ralph to do Hollywood Babylon. Uh, it, right there in Ottawa, Ontario, the capital of Canada. And, and, and boy, it's going to be a good time. They've been bugging me to come for years, and I wanted to go, and I brought them the perfect little accompaniment, Ralph Garman. When I say little, I mean this man has the largest set of balls I've ever seen in my life. They hang. They're knee shooters. It's nuts. Uh, come see him. Well, he's not going to put them on display. Come see the comedy stylings of Ralph Garman and myself as we perform our podcast, Hollywood Babylon, at the Centerpoint Theater in Ottawa, Ontario, August 25th, uh, 2012. One more future date to throw at you. So deep in the future. I should be lucky to live this long. September 22nd, uh, me and Ralph are also going to do Hollywood Babylon at the Canyon in Agora Hills. So if you're anywhere near Agora Hills and you're like, where are they ever going to come my way? It's happening September 22nd, man. So 922, mark it in your calendar. Anyway, all tickets for all these shows available at CSMOD. Dot com. That's it, man. Let me uh, take you into the show. It's time to listen to another Smodco podcast. Enjoy. Hey everyone, this is Jack Morrissey with episode 39 of Team Jack, uh, which we are calling Nomads. With me today, uh, the week after Comic-Con 2012, are, as always, on the knobs and dials, Matt Cohen, at Camel Toad on Twitter, back with us again for, the, uh, for her second appearance on the podcast is Liz Second or third? True enough. Um, Liz Lemon Bennett, podcast nerd. Team Jack obsessive. <laughs> I didn't speak a whole lot on that podcast, but I was there. No. Um, Hello. 
And your Twitter handle again? Liz Lemon Bennett. One word. How many N's and how many T's? Two N's, two T's. All right. And back for his second appearance, there was one little vocal cameo in a previous episode toward the end where you talked about Happy Madison, I think. Yeah, it was a really really great debut. Really solid. (laughs) Left my mark. From uh, Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 2, Eric Odom. What up? Also known as Peter the Nomad. Finally, dude, it took 39 episodes to get you on this. 39 episodes. To fully get you on this podcast. That's ridiculous. Post Comic Con. Right, right. Um, So the title came. Unlike most episodes, I actually thought the title up a day or two ago, and it seemed a natural fit, except the odd man out here will be Cohen, which is just as well because he's already got both his headphones in and he's thumbing his um, iPad. You're you're pretty high. Odd. Odd. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, but uh, Liz Lemon Bennett is visiting from, shall we say, Middle America. Middle America. Yes. Um, visiting Los Angeles, visiting coastal California from Middle America for San Diego Comic Con mm-hmm. and Post-Comic-Con. a little vacay yep. before and after. Yeah, extended right. Comic-Con trip to uh, seeing a friends a few days before and a few days after, and we'll be heading back to the middle of America someday soon. Right. And uh, uh, passing the mic to Cohen. For the record, my headphones are plugged into this, not like fucking Skrilla. I'm not like listening to Netflix or something. I am working here. <laughs> my eyes can be somewhere else. It's the ears that matter in the, in the podcast. He's just checking out for the next hour. <laughs> well, how, why are you watching Happy Madison then? Yeah. What are you listening to if you're watching hilarious. Happy Madison you're not listening to Happy Madison? I'm totally kidding, dude. Um, so, in a way, Liz yes. is a nomad of sorts. I am. I'm a summer East nomad. Uh-huh. East Coaster originally just worked my way across the country visiting people. How many different places did you live in before you settled? Uh, like a settler. Five. So you're, I mean, you're, you've got your nomad stripes. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, Eric and Odom, Er, Eric and Odom. Uh, Eric and Odom. Eric Lemon, Odom, (laughs) Bennett. Um, and myself are both full-blown nomads as army brats. Army brats, that's correct. For the win. And your father retired as a? Colonel. As did mine. Mm -hmm. And your father retired from his his last active duty uh, assignment was he was working in Norfolk, Virginia, on the naval base, actually at the Joint uh, Staff College, as an army spy, spying on the Navy. Pretty much, exactly. <laughs> um, my dad retired in St. Louis. Um, we should probably just jump right into it, Duter. For for uh, those who don't know much about you, or who know less than, shall we say, they bit, should a little bit of the origin. Yeah, your uh, your own origin story, not another origin story. Um, give us a little background. I can give the quick and dirty. And please, God, try to give it to us all in two minutes. I'll go fast. <laughs> Be done quick with it in two minutes. All right. So, Army brat, um, born in Washington State, moved every two years up until I was about 16. Born in Forks, right? Was about, pretty much, yeah. Well, right outside of uh, Tacoma. And then um, my parents retired in Virginia, 
stayed there, finished high school, went to college at Virginia Tech, uh, then moved out to L.A. when I was 23 for acting, and have kind of been plugging away at it ever since. Yeah, that was quick and quicker and dirtier than I thought. Give us a sense, though. Give us a little bit about during your childhood and adolescence, your uh, nomadic lifestyle. You know, it's it's a weird thing. And how that's infused every precious moment of oh, your performance as Peter. It's all in there. <laughs> no, it, it really did help. Um, up until I was about 10, I thought everybody lived that way. I thought everybody moved every two years because I was in military schools. You right. know? And in military schools, everybody was there until their parents got their next assignment and they would go to the next state, the next school. And your assignments yeah. tended to last two years? Two years. It was every two years. Three to four. Yeah, it was every two years, and then there was a three-year assignment when my dad worked in the Pentagon when I was in middle school. And that right. was before I moved to South Korea. Right. But then that went back to two years, and then Norfolk was two years until I went to college. So, right. All two years and one three-year stint. But um, up until I was ten, I thought that's how everybody lived until right. we went to Virginia, and my dad was working in the Pentagon. That was the first time I went to a civilian school, and all these kids had been. Living, they had been at school with each other since they were tiny. You know, yeah. they they would all tell stories from like second grade, yeah. and that's the first time I looked around. And went, oh, okay, I'm not like any of these people. <laughs> you know, I am a nomad. Yeah, and that's when I was first made aware of it, and that was also the time like middle school is kind of those awkward years. So that was the first time I was I felt like I didn't belong with these kids. So it was kind of that loner mentality developing, right? And on a low level. You know, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't an outcast by any means. Right. But you're made aware that you're the new kid. Right. You know, and you're on the outside kind of looking in. What did you turn to then? Sports? Sp well, in middle school, it was theater. And right. I did theater. Everyone did, but everybody does middle school theater, Eric. Middle school theater, I'm telling you. <laughs> it's quality. All the classics, right? All the Dostoevsky. classics. Dostoevsky. Yeah, but no, they had us doing Shakespeare in like sixth or seventh grade, the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. Really? These like 12-year-olds trying to bust out Shakespeare. Which plays? It was uh, Twelfth Night and <laughs> well, Romeo and Juliet. Stupid. So that's stupid. amazing. Yeah. Wow. So, and then high school was sports. Yeah. So I got away from the acting for a little bit because I was... Running in the fall, basketball in the winter, and then running in the spring. Right. So there was no time. And then the summer, you just run around and act like a dumbass kid. little kid, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can I ask a question? Mm -hmm. During that time in middle school and everything, at what point did you start to have a certainty that the acting bug was real and not just a hobby? Um, with middle school, I found, because I was moving around so much, Acting was the thing that came so naturally and the thing where I felt like I could be myself, whereas in day-to-day mm -hmm. -day I was so guarded because mm -hmm. I didn't know these kids and these kids didn't know me. So it was the first time I kind of felt like, oh, in an uncomfortable place, I'm comfortable doing this, you know? And that kind of helped me mm -hmm. you know, develop a sense of self, you know? And then sports took that place for a bit. But then when I went off to college and, you know, I wasn't, um, I was recruited for running from some small schools, but no amazing schools you know as far as uh, academics goes so i went to school and wasn't doing sports anymore and there's this huge void right. you know and that's when i turned back to acting and at tech at virginia tech at tech yeah really yeah at tech when i was 18 and turned back to acting a friend of mine on my dorm room hall he was a theater major and i asked him hey are there any shows 
you know, that are casting right now or anything. And he's like, actually, you know, there's a show casting tonight. You want, you want to go to the audition? I wow. can give you all the info. I wow. went that night. I got the lead in it. What was it? Really? Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> it was a show. It was a show called Alchemy of Desire, I think. It was a, um, Hot. It was a vague show. I was playing a soldier. Right. Um, I had to shave my head for it. But I did the show. Which I got era? The, it was, it's contemporary. Vietnam? Iraq? Uh, Iraq, but it's in a kind of vague... It's contemporary, but the okay. timing, it's not a specific war. Right. It's kind right. of an out there show. Okay. But uh, I did it, and the theater department, I think, kind of took notice a little bit because I was this non-theater major, and huh. I wasn't one of the well, effeminate they must have. They kids gave you like the all lead. the other... What's that? They must have taken notice. They gave you the lead. Yeah. You're a non-theater major stepping in. Who stepped in. They never heard. With like two hours to, to prepare yeah. for auditions, and then you leave with the the lead in your pocket that's pretty great that's pretty crazy and by the way i've never heard the story no it's um yeah and that was as soon as i did it and that happened it was like oh okay this is cool and i started the, <laughs> the rehearsal process and got so into it and was just like this is it like this is what was missing right you know, and at the time i was trying to decide what i was going to do with my life was i going to be a physical therapist was i going to be this or that because you were you were ostensibly a tech for nutrition right yeah and that's, right. um, I originally, I was originally going to do physical therapy. Then I thought I would go into nutrition, which are on semi-related tracks, right? at least for undergrad. And then, um, as soon as I did the acting thing, I was like, this is it. Wow. You know, I locked into that and knew it. And you, you, you feel it in your gut, you know? Right. And it was right. a really visceral thing. Right. So. And you were, you were on or just off campus. You were actually both. Uh, on the day of the the historic shooting his, not historical historic yeah the worst it is still the statistically i think the, mm -hmm. worst, yeah, it's the worst uh campus shooting in american history yes mm -hmm. no uh I, I don't know i mean how you rank it but kent state you know it's the worst since kent state how many people were killed at Kent State? Do you know? That's what. It, that's why when you said statistically, I'm not. I don't remember I think, exact numbers. I think. I think Tech was. Just Tech was. Yeah, I think okay. so. Yeah. How many people were lost their lives at Tech that day? Thirty-three, I believe. And one of which Including, you did know, right? I yeah, I knew the um, I knew the RA from the morning, which is resident by the resident assistant advisor. Advisor, yeah. right? It's I, been I so knew long. him. I didn't know him very well. Right. It was, it's a really. It was a weird thing because it shook the whole campus. I mean, it's a Blacksburg's a small college town. Blacksburg, Virginia. Yeah, Blacksburg, Virginia. You know, it's a town of not very many people. And everybody who lives there is pretty much involved with the school in one way or another. Right. And so it shook everybody up. But it, it was strange for me, you know, because I only did know this one guy. I didn't know him very well. Right. And so... I felt bad for the community, but it was strange because it was like it was another thing of being kind of on the outside looking in on it. Feeling a little, a little bit. disconnected from all of uh, a lot of my friends. The mass and, grieving that was going on. Yeah, there was there there trauma. was a lot of it, and you know, and I I I had my moments. You know, we did candlelight vigils on the drill field, which was kind of like the the quad, like the the main area of campus. Right. You know, on the drill field, we did candlelight vigils, and you get that many people together. You know, you get tens of thousands of people together all there sure in solidarity i mean that that i lost it a couple times there right but other than that it was just kind of it was a strange feeling of being i guess the term i keep using is tragedy adjacent right you know i, I was there but i'm not quite 
there, you know, not directly grieving, but indirectly grieving and being there for people who were directly grieving, you know? Right, totally. Strange. It's a really, really strange feeling. But, you know, I saw people who would manufacture these feelings of how they felt they should feel. Bad acting. Yeah, bad acting. You know, and they're trying and to believe it or they're trying to they're inhabit trying the to moment convince themselves. themselves that they feel the way they think they should feel given yeah. the situation. And but you as the audience as an audience member were remained unconvinced. Oh, you you feel what you feel, you indulge what you feel, and yeah. if you don't feel it, you try and figure out if that's okay or not. You know? Yeah. How many years were you at Blacksburg? Four years. And what and I was ye- split between Norfolk and Blacksburg just I, when I was in school and then for the summers. I spent one summer in Blacksburg, but mostly I went back to Norfolk. Right. And yeah. what year was, in which year did the shooting occur? It was 2006. Well, what year? 2007. For you? It was my junior year. Your junior year. Yeah. Okay. 2007. Right. So then you were April there for 16th. another year. Yeah. And then how quickly after graduating from Virginia Tech, did you go West Young Man to find your fortune? I graduated in 2008, and so I spent the summer at home, and then I moved out here August 2009. I spent the summer at home, then I stayed a little bit longer just to kind of build that little nest egg up, and then I moved out August of 2009 to L.A. With a couple other Virginians? Right. Yeah. One one Virginian had lived out here for a year already that I knew. Mm-hmm. And then uh two other Virginians that were my friends from back home that were coming out around the same time. I went first, one followed a month later, another followed four months after that. And everybody generally with aspirations in the entertainment industry. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Of one sort or another. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was a little less scary for the three of you. Yeah. Knowing that you were all from the same place all you would all collectively be you would be strangers in a strange land but together yeah there's kind of that put the group together face the world type thing yeah and and there's another weird thing when you come out to la you kind of throw these feelers out everywhere because la is kind of the city where no one's from you know there's a lot of it's all transplant so you try and find people who you know come from similar similar backgrounds yeah it must feel a little like hopping from schools growing up well that's what that made it so much easier i mean so much so with la that when i meet someone hi this is matt cohen by the way uh (laughs) (laughs) when i meet someone who's from here i'm usually unnerved by it just like if you ever meet someone who grew up in vegas it's usually a red flag that there's some real fucked up shit yeah (laughs) you know what i mean same with la and it's usually not fucked up it's just oddly the opposite if someone grew up in hollywood their lives were typically really suburban and, and kind of boring, I've found at least. And you'd think like growing up amongst all this industry and craziness, but unless you're directly involved in it, like if your dad was a dentist and you grew up in Burbank, you don't really have that many crazy stories of, of Hollywood life. It's just, it could be anywhere else. So it's a weird town. Except because we do live in Los Angeles and specifically Hollywood, which is not legally a city. I do have a dermatologist to help me look after my high school acne scars, and my dermatologist's father produced both Platoon, for which he won Best Picture, and more meaningfully to you, in all likelihood, Porky's. See, but his son, his father will just have been a dermatologist. 
his grandfather was producer and then what you know what I, i'm joking but you know what i mean though unless you stay actively involved yeah. it's just like i find it odd that uh, not people who grew up here because it's just not everyone's going to work in the industry, but people who move here from out of state and become like dentists or claim adjusters or some random shit. I always found that interesting because while I love living here, there's nothing that compelling about the actual city. Like if, if, if the industry wasn't here, I don't think I would be living here specifically. I really like California, but I think there are nicer parts geographically and weather-wise and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it's the people who move here on purpose not to pursue a dream in, in entertainment, just move here on purpose to just that. That kind of freaks me out a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. Like Eric Odom. Well, well. <laughs> and I'm fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> but it came up through so the industry, so. How quickly after you moved out here did you and I meet? Do you have a sense? Um, six months. That's it? Yeah, thereabouts. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. Um, I'll lead. So the first time we met each other, the first conversation immediately that your accent was derp way- derp. It was obvious. Yeah, that you weren't there, from around something here. There. It's a big mix of of something, but it's it's definitely southern. Can you pour it on a little bit for us? And what, little y'all. And little, yeah, 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 yeah. Little yeah, like talk, when we were little, back in Virginia recently. <laughs> homeless man's Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, I I heard your accent. I asked where you were from. The answer was Virginia. Mm-hmm. This was a surprise to me, but also incredibly meaningful because this for me was um, the time that I spent in Virginia, which was which were the first three years of my high school, uh, were, you know, as for so many, for so many people, the most meaningful, one of the most meaningful periods of their life, um, and certainly an incredibly formative period. Yeah. Um, so I said to you, uh, what part of Virginia are you from? Fully expecting, as I know you've encountered, that the answer would be, Alexandria or Virginia points north near Washington, D.C. Distinctly three different regions. You know, there's Northern Virginia up by D.C. There's Southeastern Virginia where Norfolk is. You know, that's um, its own thing. And then there's, you know, up in the Appalachians, you know, Southwest Virginia and you right. know, the more rural sections. Headed toward West Virginia. Yeah. And they're all very, very distinct. They have their right. own identities. Right. And uh, much to my surprise, most people, when you when you meet them and you find out they're from Virginia, they're going to tell you. They're from the northern part. They're from More near DC, yeah. which is usually immediately. Why well, be? I may hopefully stay interested in learning more about them or other facets of them, but I become immediately that's, disinterested that's about the no geographical likes, connection because no it doesn't mean anything. From Nova. No. Is that true? <laughs> you call it Nova. We, we kind of joke them a little bit. Yeah, we give them a hard time. Nova. Yeah, Northern Virginia. Huh? Yeah, we get a hard time. Nobody likes people from Nova. Nobody likes those. Suburban DC kids. <laughs> um, why don't you talk a little bit about the region? Um, well, actually, so then you go, no, no, I'm actually from, I, you said uh, you were actually from Norfolk. No. And as soon as I heard Norfolk, which is spelled N O R F O L K, but is pronounced <laughs> Norfolk, Norfolk. Um, my eyes lit up. And I was like, oh, no shit, dude. Um, I went to high school in, in a uh, crumbling 
you know, broken down in more ways than one Catholic high school in, in the shipyard town across the James River and the Chesapeake Bay, sort of, I guess, technically across the Chesapeake Bay, near the mouth of the James River. Um, Newport News, I went to Peninsula Catholic High School, and you replied with something, probably your own high school. Yeah, Maury. Uh, Maury High School, school, which meant nothing to me. Yeah, which, and Um, Peninsula Catholic, I mean, yeah, they're they're spaced out far enough apart as Yeah, that there wasn't really a connection there. There's not a lot of crossover. But then then the magic happened. And I think I said, oh, I actually lived at Fort Monroe. Yeah. We were stationed at Fort Monroe, to which you replied. My mother currently at that time. At, in that at moment. Fort Monroe, yeah. Worked at Fort Monroe. Mm-hmm. Now, here's what, here's what you need to know about Fort Monroe. It's a, a fort that dates back to the Civil War. Uh, the original fort is uh, surrounded by... Uh, a thing that they call casemate, which is a hollow stone structure through which we uh, dotted with little holes through which we can shove our cannons <laughs> and shoot at marauding ships as part of the coastal artillery defense system that existed in this country from probably pre-Civil War all the way through... World War II, really, when they mm-hmm. still had big guns on the rest of the land, very little land, but that surrounds the um, the moated, the original moated fort at the center. Um, when I lived there in the mid '80s, it was uh, during the Reagan years. It was a great time to be in the military. Uh, President Reagan was channeling a fuck ton of money into the military. So there were massive restoration projects going on all over Fort Monroe. Um, and since, since those years, I think the fort became, um, became less and less. The fort at that time was headquarters to the training and doctrine command, which is called TRADOC with no K at the end. And, uh, since that time, I think, and just through, the evolution of the armed forces, the fort became less and less important until eventually it was uh, targeted by uh, Congress, the BRAC, which is Base Realignment and Closure Commission. It was targeted for closure. It was ultimately closed and then decommissioned last November, I think, while I was in London. Your mom was attending the decommissioning ceremony at the fort. Yep. And shortly thereafter, President Obama um, declared sort of all the most meaningful parts of the fort as uh, the Fort Monroe National Park, uh, which is especially significant given the role that the fort historically played, um, sheltering slaves as a sort of, I believe, destination on the Underground Railroad during the Civil War. The fort was obviously... Uh, in Southern Virginia, in Confederate territory, I believe, but was a Union fort. Um, Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy, was held prisoner there for a time. Um, So it was just interesting that an African-American president would be the one to make that designation that will sort of secure the... uh, will secure the architectural and environmental protection 
and preservation of the fort pretty much from from here on out. Mm-hmm. Um, so my eyes lit up when I heard that your mom was one of, at that point, by that point, very few Not very many, people yeah. left working. It was winding down for sure. Uh, at Fort Monroe. And out here in Los Angeles, when you run across a coincidence that's that meaningful, that's that specific and precise, needless to say, well, in my experience anyway, you don't take the little starfish that you're now holding in your hand for the moment and throw it back into the ocean. You sort of put the starfish in your pocket, you know? It was just, I don't believe in coincidence, generally speaking, but that was like... It's pretty wild. That was a pretty big one to, yeah. to uh, wrap, wrap our heads around, you know? Yeah, in that moment, was there, I mean, were there tears? That was it. What's that? Were there no. tears? I mean, was it... No, it was really, it was tears, freaky, no. though. It was kind of freaky great, because Eric obviously has a very youthful look, and you know, very quickly thereafter, we established that he just moved out here. Yes, he wanted to be an actor, um, and you could you can still see in your face, despite the fact that you've been through the horrendous uh, industrial sausage grinder that is the twilight saga just kidding oh stop <laughs> um, no it's, you can... it's where rainbows are and unicorns <laughs> dance and, and people cry tears of love it's a beautiful place tears of love um eric still has that very youthful fresh face and so for me there was definitely a sense of like all right well this kid is from exactly the same corner of the universe that that it is was and remains incredibly meaningful to me. And so if there's anything that I can do, uh, I will do it. And so we just started hanging out at that point. And then very quickly, the Fort Monroe and the Virginia connection, which we'll jump back to in a second, became a little less meaningful mm-hmm. as soon as we got to know each other uh, very quickly and discovered our mutual phenomenal taste in horror film phenomenal phenomenal Flawless. taste uh where billy we madison phenomenal i'm, I'm not saying billy I'm madison saying. is some some people's idea of a horror movie but not well i just i'm just when we're talking about great taste i am thinking it's oh, yeah. to, to, to your first to your first liz is, uh, podcast liz is calling visit. you out that uh that film transcends criticism so i'm gonna just keep <laughs> going to keep my mouth shut. All right, guys. Top top three horror films. Real quick before we move on, please. It's not top three horror films. It's top three most favorite horror films that you've watched the most. True. Okay. That you return to over and over and over okay. again that never run out of fuel. Okay. And? We'll, prob- we'll probably have exactly the same answer. Number one. Um, Should we write this on cards so you n- don't cheat and we'll see if they really do match up? No, it takes too long. We don't, need, we don't even need to. <laughs> Number one, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. Agree. Go back on that movie over and over again. His most underrated, I think. You will not be saved uh, by the great god Plutonium. It's a great In movie. fact, you will, will not, not be, be saved. saved at all. <laughs> um, Return of the Living Dead, favorite zombie movie. Never saw it. You gave me a DVD shortly after we met. Yeah. I still never watched it. Came, saw it. Despite the fact oh. that a guy that I'm acquainted with was a key zombie in that movie. It's a great movie. It's a great, great zombie movie. Running zombies before it was cool. Right. It was like old, <laughs> old school. Really, really good. Um, to be honest, probably Exorcist 3. Wasn't it say Exorcist? Legion, no. The third Exorcist one. Exorcist 3. 3. I, 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 you know, I've, 
I watch, I've seen The Exorcist many times. I love The Exorcist. It is the holy grail for a lot, a lot of horror fans. It's arguably the greatest horror film ever made. Yeah. It, people love, love, love that movie. I love it. Uh, but I watch the third more often. Yep. And I you really get more do. pleasure out of it. I watched the third thanks to your recommendation mm-hmm. last Halloween with friends. Uh-huh. Uh, Exorcist 1, uh, I've got a conflicted background with that. First of all, mm-hmm. Liz. Yes. It's just The Exorcist. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not Star Wars 1. <laughs> I'm going to be exiled, it's simply Star Wars. all future podcasts yeah. for my... my uh, Transgression. Yes, my many transgressions when discussing cinema. Yeah. Um, but here's, here's, here's The Exorcist for people of my age, women of a certain age. We were the, the age of the character when that film came out. And you are the age of Reagan. Of Reagan. Right. The character. Right. Uh, and suddenly Eric Odom is looking a lot more interesting. And, and I will say, no, <laughs> when you see we those talk about this all day. ads alone, when you are a little girl and you happen to be going to Catholic school and you might have some fine teachers at the institution wanting to make it very clear that what is happening in those commercials could very much happen to any one of us any day. <laughs> yes, because if your mother, an actress, <laughs> makes the parenting mistake that so many parents do of, according to William Peter Blatty, who wrote the novel, the screenplay, produced the film, and then wrote the novel Legion, adapted that into a screenplay, and directed Exorcist Three. According to William Peter Blatty, the possession of Reagan occurs when her mother... Uh, leaves her bedroom window open. Oh, God. And see, I'm scared already. Demon, I couldn't see it until I was 25, and even now. comes in through the open bedroom window during the night and goes right into her. Oh, my God. Please stop. I'm still scared. That <laughs> What's up? It still frightens me. That film still frightens me. I, I, and again, it was 25, I was 25 before I could finally sit down and watch it, and uh, it was just horrifying. But right. anyway... That's my two cents. And then we skip over Exorcist 2, which is generally considered. And still, even even in a day when lots of, thanks to DVD and Blu-ray, lots of movies get a second look, Exorcist 2, it's still, the Exorcist Exorcist 2, The Heretic, Mm -hmm. is still considered an abomination or a camp classic, depending on how stoned you are. Exorcist 3, Legion, again, adapted from the novel and directed by Mr. Blatty himself. What was your what was your take watching it last autumn with your friends? Excellent. It's great, isn't it? It's great. It's, really it's it so great. ripe. Mm-hmm. So good. Good Brad Dorf. Ten thousand quotable lines. Yeah. In that movie. And there's frightening. All of and which I have and I know on my that... iPhone. Do you really? Yeah. Yeah. Look at Hang me. And just one second, Cohen. We can do anything that it's, it's if it's under five seconds and not get in trouble, right? Yeah. Really. Um, okay, so hang on just one second. As he's doing that, both, you know, the films, The Exorcist is interesting and frightening, but the frightening part was so overwhelming, I couldn't get back, I couldn't get past it to get the interesting part. Yeah. Um, but the third one, which, uh, Exorcist 3, I, do, I, I could digest. Let's do a good old YouTube search for Exorcist 3 scissors scene, or hospital scene. Yes, exactly. You're good to go. You don't have to watch the Although I strongly, I think we all, we agree strongly that Matt Cohen should not be eating my almonds. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
that you should watch the entire movie so that you really enjoy the complete context for that scene. But yes, it's all about this. Um, it's really just all about this sound. Yeah, so yeah. good. And the cut from that, the end of that scene to the beginning of the next scene. Is just, yep, it's great. So good. Speaking of which, so have you seen The Exorcist stage play? Uh, I have not. I have. Yeah, it was. Uh, I'd like to go with that. There's not. There's. There's not much. You don't see much like it. You know, they, they, you don't. You don't get many adaptations of that kind on stage. It's worth seeing. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so Eric and I quickly bonded over our shared taste in very, very specific horror movie titles. Yeah, well, and that's that the thing you can't hold up talk. As classics. You can't talk to too many classics. people about Prince of Darkness. You can't talk to too many people true. about Exorcist Three. I mean, it's just those aren't. You know, yeah, there's Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, there's Friday the Thirteenth. Yawn. Child's Play. Halloween. Like Whatever. all those are. They're they're great. But, you know, you, you can talk to most anybody about that, and that doesn't necessarily distinguish them as someone who knows, like, a lot, a lot about the genre and that time, too. You know, late right. 70s, mid-70s, right. and 80s. Um, jump back to Virginia just a little bit, Eric, and um, describe for me real quickly your sense of that region of Virginia. Uh, well, I had lived up in northern Virginia before. You know, when my dad was working at the Pentagon, I went mm -hmm. to middle school up there. That was where I was for three years. Right. Not a big fan of it. Um, suburban traffic was really bad. You know, right. it was just not not my thing. When I moved, it was after South Korea. I moved to Norfolk when I was 16. Right. And it's, <laughs> it's just laid back. It's southern. Coastal. It's southern and coastal, which is its own thing. You know, east It's also east coast. coastal and... Is sort of wrapped around the Chesapeake Bay. Yeah. Which is its own, with rivers feeding into the bay, the James River. Yeah. Notably. Each of them sort of has their own, you know, one of those sort of quizzes that people ask each other when they're in end lounges and dorms in college or whatnot. It's like, name your favorite body of water. Is it a river? Is it a creek? Is it a stream? Is it an ocean? And then that's supposed to tell you something sexual about that person. There's oh, like really? 10 of those questions. But anyway. Let's play that in the next podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or this Cosmo. one if we have time. Like an issue of Cosmo. But rivers, bays, oceans, the Atlantic Ocean versus the Pacific Ocean, each of them, the oceans where, you know, the Atlantic Ocean up in Maine versus the Atlantic Ocean down in Florida, so, so different. The I mean, thing we were just always... in the Atlantic Ocean in North Carolina, yeah, the, which the, was amazing. The thing that always struck me about Norfolk and that whole region was how quickly everything would flood. I mean, it's because yeah. it's right, you know, it's right at sea level and the drainage is so bad there right. that it doesn't take much, you know, flash flooding. I've never lived somewhere where flash flooding happens so quickly and water just seems like it's coming up from underground. Literally know? right on your mom's street, right? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's um, a friend of mine from college. One of my old college roommates came to visit me and, you know, we spent the weekend in, um, in Norfolk and we went to this fucking Chinese buffet that was literally five blocks from my house right. and it started pouring while we were going there. And then on the way back, we we decided to cut through on the side street by my high school and go through and the water didn't look that like it was that high and we had that moment where we're sitting there looking at my house three blocks down the street going right. 
do we drive through this? You know, do we go through this right now? Right. And we decided to, and it had only been raining maybe an hour and a half and it didn't look that deep. And we go in and he flooded his car. Right. It stopped in the middle of this, uh, in the middle of this huge, huge, huge developing body of water. Right. You know, I get out of the car, I open the door and it's literally at the level where it's about to pour into his, um, carpet. You know, yeah. The carpet. Wow. I get out and I push it block and the car is completely shot and i'd never in an hour and a half it's crazy it's, wow. it's crazy how how well wow. how quickly it floods there and, and i was there for hurricane isabel and i mean water is water kind of defines that region you know? yeah the region itself is called tidewater yeah um despite the fact that you did not have a proper film school pardon me education nor did i mm -hmm. did you matt cohen did you go to film school Thank you for like a week, for those of you who couldn't hear. Bill Conda did not, did not attend film school. Mm -hmm. Liz Lemon Bennett did not attend film school. Um, despite the fact that you did not major in film at Virginia Tech, which is not known for its film program. No, it's developing. Um, uh, your parents did have the, the wisdom to buy a house about a block away from uh, literally, literally, the best video store I have ever been in the in the world, mm. including all the video stores I've ever been in, in both Manhattan and Los Angeles. And that video store is the narrow, the narrow N A R O, which is video narrow expanded video. Mm -hmm. I've actually got a photograph of the facade, which we can use for the episode guide. Mm -hmm. And that is immediately to the right of the narrow cinema. Mm -hmm which is, I think, independently owned and operated, or is it a landmark theater? I believe independently owned, but I'm not sure on that. Art house theater, first-run art house theater, serving really the entire uh, Tidewater region. Mm -hmm. You lived a minute's walk out of your front door. 100 feet. Down to the best movie theater in the, in the region and the best uh, video store in the world. Yeah. And uh, apparently took full advantage of... It was... These was, great film schools. It was it, my education, you know, because before, you know, for the first year I lived there, lived on the naval base and quarters, then moved out um, right after Hurricane Isabel right. and moved into Ghent there. And I had already, it took me maybe six or seven months of living in Norfolk to find this place. You know, I'd gone to well, Blockbuster before. I was always a Blockbuster right, guy. Right. But this place, you know, it was right around the time I was getting on the internet into all these websites, you know, Ain't It Cool, Chud, Dread Central, Bloody Scott, all these, Dark you know, Horizons. Yeah, Dark Horizons, totally. Right. Corona um, coming attractions. Getting into all these sites, you know, where I would find these more obscure horror films that Blockbuster didn't carry. Right. You know, and I'd heard some people talking about, oh, you know, there's another video store that has, you know, more obscure stuff. Right. And I went there and I tracked down stuff that... You didn't even have to. Yeah. It was right in front of you. It was, it's it's unbelievable. The it's the inventory is off the charts, and the sensitivity to categorization and organization it's it's mind blowing. It was crazy. It was. I mean, I've seen others like it, but having literally the year I moved uh, to Los Angeles to what's called the South Bay, Manhattan Beach, and lived with Christian Bale. Shout out on the eve of the release of Dark Knight Rises, What's up? Uh, Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery's, the video store that Tarantino and Avery uh, worked at together, which I think was called either 
video journeys or video archive, I can't remember which of the two it was, mm -hmm. was still open uh, in Manhattan Beach, right on Pacific Coast Highway. It's now like East Coast Bagels or something like that. But I went into that video store, which has to be sort of in the history of movies now, a legendary video store in terms of having produced those two guys, certainly QT. Um, it was good. It wasn't narrow, expanded video good. It no. wasn't even on the same planet. As, and that's with those guys both having already worked there and left whatever uh, touch and influence uh, they left in terms of, again, specificity with categorization, organization, grouping things together by um, unbelievably precise yeah. Really, really genres specific. and sort of a verging on obsession, you yeah. know. Do you think that'd come over and organize my house for me? The the uh, gentleman who runs and owns <laughs> Narrow Expanded Cinema would he come organize hey, your I, house? A girl can fantasize, can't she? <laughs> she can. And I mean, that's a major fantasy. If he if he came over and organized your house, Liz, would he find, shall we say, the raw materials that he would need to organize things according to, shall we say? obsessions <laughs> i'm not even sure how to answer that question moving um, along i was lost like, okay. <laughs> I, had no idea. I had no idea what just was said no um, it caught me at the perfect time i mean the store was it was really when i was starting to dig down deeper on stuff you know because before right. i mean what, what was nice is i was kind of at the tail end my generation was at the tail end of being able to find stuff on tv and just having it pop up and be like catch a movie halfway right. in. I remember the first time I ever saw Prince of Darkness, it was one of the dream transmissions. And I just see this grainy video of this shadowy figure coming out of this yeah. church. And I'm just like, holy shit, what is this? Yeah. You know? And when I was over in Korea, it's like crazy stuff, you know, would come on TV and you, you know, you'd have to go online and track down, you know, what is this? And you would search specifically by, you know, this happens in this scene and you would put it in whatever, like Hotbot or whatever search engine it was back in the day, you know, and you would try and track down what these movies were. But Narrow had everything, you know. It was the first time I saw Battle Royale. It was the first time I saw Old Boy. It was the I first was time. Say Old Boy, yeah. Yeah, these these movies that I read about, you know, and didn't know when they were going to come stateside. And then as soon as they did, you know, and if they didn't have it in the store, all you would have to do is tell someone at the desk, and they would order it for you. Right. They would order it and add it to their collection because they didn't want to. They didn't want to have a blind spot to any movie you knew. Right. Uh, that they didn't know, you know. They right. would fix it really quick, and they would fill in that blind spot and add it to the collection. So if, amazing! If someone's so going to ask about it, they figure someone else will ask about it, and next time they'll be they'll be in the know, you know. And when we were back through town recently, we stopped by, um, checked out the video store. I think mm -hmm. you said hello to the purveyor, right? While you were there, did yeah. you? Yeah, I saw a couple people. I know it's it's a nice thing about Ghent. We run into a lot of people, you know. Uh, I attempted to tweet out. Uh, a big, big hug for that store, but, uh, or posted, uh, attempted to post a, post that photograph, but posted it in the wrong place and never went back and fixed it, posted it in the Team Jack Facebook group. Yeah, I tweeted, um, I tweeted a picture of the marquee, home sweet home. But then literally like hours later, Tom Hanks is tweeting the exact, not the exact same picture, obviously, but a picture or a video that a he video, himself It was shot. a video of the marquee that was identical to the one i he i took a picture he took a seven second video yeah he was in town shooting Get captain out. phillips 
Captain Phillips is the Paul the, Greengrass movie about the Somalian pirates. Right. Working yeah. title. Paul Greengrass is directing that? Mm-hmm. Oh, um, why am I not surprised? Anyway. Oh, <laughs> suck a dick, Paul Greengrass. Well, it's just the same thing again. It's just like pick a pick a small, not small scale necessarily, but it's like pick a human disaster, a human sort of. Yeah, or Sunday Bloody Sunday or whatever. It's like. Would the handheld approach really work well? Let's do let's do it. I'll do it. Anyway. Um so Norfolk Narrow Expanded Cinema, a big shout out. And up the street, living in that house, we have your mom. My mom. Can we say her first name on air or can we not? Uh John L. Yeah, it's fine. John L. I don't see why not. You want to spell it? Uh, nah. She you have a Twitter account? Don't You'll never figure it out. No Twitter account. My mom is... <laughs> She's not even on Facebook. No no Twitter, no Facebook. John L. Odom. It's a great name, right? That's it. That's it. John L. Odom. Is she from Krypton? With a hyphen. J-O-N hyphen E-L. Capital uppercase E. I'm in the process of writing a movie called My Mom the Twihard. Yes, because that's exactly where I was going. Your mom is a big old... First generation early adopter. Before I even moved, died in the wool. A girl. Why hard with a vengeance? It was maybe two months before I was going to move out to LA, and a girl I was dating at the time, you know, came over to my house or whatever. My mom and her were talking, and they proceeded to. Mom's also a massive movie fan. Massive, massive movie fan. Not a coincidence that she still to this day lives right by the narrow. You know, right, right. So they have a 30-minute conversation on why Edward is like the be-all, end-all guy of all time. Yep. Meanwhile. And, uh, and meanwhile, I'm just sitting there with my arms crossed like, ain't this some bullshit? <laughs> you know, because I, I mean, I, at that time, there weren't any movies yet, I don't think. Uh, or the no, first Twilight movie first hadn't one. been made? Yeah, the first one hadn't, but New Moon hadn't been yet. Okay. Um, and they were talking, I think it was as my mom was reading Breaking Dawn. How funny. So, crazy. Insane. So, yeah, that was uh, two months before I moved out. But she was huge. You know, she she had talked about it for the whole time she was working where I threw it. It's like, oh, these books I are I love really that good. she's Team Edward. She's so, oh, she's totally God, Team she's Edward. She's total Team Edward. Total love that. Team Edward. Totally. So. Was there any question? Well, here's hoping she's Team Peter now. Well, yeah, you would hope so, right? Come on. In, in a, not a weird sense, you know. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, never mind. Cohen's hoping she's she's full on Team Peter. Um, Good Lord. So then... <laughs> Sorry. So then you move out here, we meet, we make our Virginia connection, then it's horror films. And uh, meanwhile, you and I start hiking Runyon Canyon together. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric has been one of my... Uh, Jedi Masters when it's when it's come to the sixty pounds that I've shed in about a year, slicing it off, um, chop it down, son. Yeah. And um, as we're going up Runyon Canyon, we start talking about everything that's going on mm-hmm. um, with Team Condon and the movie that he's developed for a year and a half, Salmon Fishing in the Yemen, based on the novel of the same title, largely unknown in this country. Um, yeah, and he's he's been abroad. He's scouted locations in England, Scotland, uh, Yemen. no Morocco, because we don't go to Yemen, Matt Cohen, or we get beheaded. We don't take Hollywood uh, film productions to Yemen. If we showed up, we're like, we're just here to salmon fish. They wouldn't be like, oh, it's cool. No. We have big lunches for you. No. 
box lunches. And they Nothing couldn't get box the lunches in the Yemen. Yemen. Yes, exactly. Um, couldn't get the budget together. Mm-hmm. The the uh, British producer, fourteen million bucks is what it sort of had boiled down to by that point. Couldn't get it. 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 Months are going by. Months are going by. Months are going by. Meanwhile, it's been about four years since Bill wrote and directed, or adapted, I should say, and directed Dreamgirls, during which time he's done the HBO pilot Tilda. He's uh, produced the 81st Academy Award telecast, and he'd written his Richard Pryor, his as-yet-unmade, phenomenal Richard Pryor screenplay, um, but had made a movie. And so then back at the door after... Apparently, although I don't remember this at all this way, but um, other people do. Apparently, Twilight had already been at the door knocking, not once, not twice, but I think three times, trying to get Bill to direct Eclipse. Hmm. And he was just busy on Richard Pryor. I think it it had to have been Richard Pryor, that Richard Pryor was at one of the three studios it went through before ultimately sort of stalling. Um, So anyway, that... Team Twilight had come back and were knocking on the door for Breaking Dawn. And Bill, to this point, had already been in development on salmon fishing. I feel like we probably covered this on a previous podcast, but um, you don't think so, Matt Cohen? Or you think nobody cares? Okay. Um, anyway, so Eric and I would hike, Runyon, hike uh, so-called Mount Doom and Runyon Canyon talking about well, is it going to be salmon fishing or is it going to be breaking dawn? Mm-hmm. And ultimately, salmon fishing just couldn't get the money together. Bill uh, had lots of attractors, I would call them, toward breaking dawn, um, chiefly that it was the fourth and final novel so that it was all, as he puts it, it's all third act. Mm-hmm. Everything is paying it's off all over off. the place. Yeah. It's a wedding. It's a honeymoon. It's a... Uh, a woman carrying a very strange baby near death, near death, dying, uh, unbelievably horrendous childbirth that is fatal. And then she is spoiler alert, uh, turned by her husband, uh, Edward Cullen into a vampire in the final moments of the film. And then everything that is yet to come in part two. Um, and Bill really, really wanted to work with the cast. Uh, so anyway, Eric and I are constantly having these conversations about how it's going to play out, what what's going to end up happening. And as with everything in the movie business, it usually plays out over at least months in the case of Twilight, where they the Twilight locomotive was already moving so quickly in terms of getting these movies made and released, while the specifically the vampire uh, or the actors who are playing vampires in Stephanie Meyer's universe all still looked like they were not aging from movie to movie um and then uh as it came up obviously eric sort of without you didn't have a manager or an agent at that time no we just started talking bill was um bill said yes to breaking dawn immediately hired deborah zane who was the probably the best casting director Working in the business today, having cast almost everything for Steven Spielberg, Steven Soderbergh, Sam Mendes, uh, having cast Dreamgirls uh, with and for Bill, uh, who returned all the amazing work she did casting that movie with a uh, 
little cameo as the so-called, so titled in the uh, final credits, uptight Jewish woman in the Miami Supper Club who Eddie Murphy um, grinds into her face and she basically driving her and her husband out of the supper club, which she plays to a, she plays to a T. Anyway, um, Eric and I started talking about, um, literally just the isolated idea of being able to have some exposure to a casting director of Deborah Zane's magnitude, um, and go on tape for Deborah Zane and her casting associates. And, uh, we got that done. And then, uh, I don't really want to go into the entire story of how you ended up booking, which is the cold and callous term that's usually used out here to describe an actor or a writer or a director getting a movie or getting a TV pilot or a get shot on a TV series or whatever, but um, it was incredibly emotional. Uh, oh, yeah. oh, I, I cried. And, like a and she had no idea that you knew him when she was... I don't think so. I don't think so. Because when Bill showed me, basically, Eric ended up going in, going on to tape, as the expression goes, for one of her casting associates. Mm-hmm. She was off on summer holiday, having, I think, gotten most of the the big casting done on these two movies. Um, she went off for like a week or two uh, just at the moment that Eric happened to go in mm-hmm. and um, Bill to that bill by that point was already uh, deep into pre-production out in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where they shot all the interiors for uh, the two parts of breaking dawn. And he came back through for some, LA oriented business on the movie for some reason. And, uh, here in the house called me downstairs into, to his office one day and said, uh, uh, I have something to, I have something for you to look at. And as I walked up behind him, you could see on his Mac that the casting, the audition link or whatever they call it, casting link was up and you had all these sort of, you had basically, I think somewhere between five and seven, actors auditions each of which could be played or fast forwarded rewound at any given time for a number of uh smaller parts in breaking dawn there goes matt cohen out for another cigarette doesn't matter dude we'll just we'll claim it's a train horn um and bill's line was bill's line to me um as i walked up on him and over his shoulder saw eric odom's face on Bill's Mac, Bill's line to me was, I had nothing to do with this. So, no, I don't think she knew. I don't think she knew. And uh, amazingly, literally, all the auditions for parts at this level were literally under a minute worth of tape. There was so little time that any of these actors had um, to make that impression that would get them these uh, named character parts in Stephanie Meyer's Twilight Universe, most of whom uh, are witnesses uh, recruited by the Cullen clan or the Olympic coven, as I understand they are also called um, from the illustrated guide to um, 
for the final face-off with uh, with the Volturi. So it's literally under a minute to get to get any of these named characters, including the character of Peter the Nomad, who you want to give us some real quickly just some the backstory on Peter. Peter the man with no last name. Yeah, Peter's uh, backstory essentially start, starts in Eclipse. It kind of runs runs parallel to Jasper's. You know, he's Jasper's best friend. You right. Know, he was part of Maria's newborn army. Right. He's kind of the second in command with Jasper. And uh, when Charlotte was one of the newborns within the army that had been recruited. And, Your mate, Charlotte. Yeah, she was uh, She was set to be disposed of. Mm-hmm. And, by uh, by uh, Jasper. Jasper. Who did the killing, mm-hmm. right? And as we saw in Eclipse, yeah. And you know, I felt strongly about her and didn't want to see that happen. So you know, at the last minute, you know, grab her and we we take off, we get away, right? You know, and and before I go, Jasper sort of comes to his senses and realizes realize realizes how he's been played by uh, Maria, Maria, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and so we we run off, and I eventually I go back without her get Jasper and we take off for a bit before he leaves for the Collins. Okay. Yeah. Right. He leaves on good terms. You know, he's, so he, the was, in- he was depressed about eating people. So you did not just- actually audition for Peter though. The lines that you read were sort of a scrambled because they didn't want to release any lines of dialogue, any so-called sides from the actual Very working uh, draft of the screenplay. Um, into into the so-called town. They didn't want any sides getting out. So they gave you sort of scrambled eggs to read that were a, were a combination of there's some dialogue in there from Alizar, right? Or is it mostly Alizar's lines just just jumbled up? It was Yeah, it was all scrambled around. Right, right. Um, the part you ended up landing is Peter. The perfect thing about Peter is that he's southern. Southern nomad. Which is it, awesome. It all runs. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy. It's it's pretty great. Um, That's why Debbie is who Debbie is. <laughs> it lines up pretty perfectly. Um, oh, another train horn as the Los Angeles Metrolink makes its gentle turn into the Coenga Pass headed for Universal Studios. <laughs> Metrolink. Can I ask a question? Quick question. Yeah. Okay, this is this is what I'm I'm dying to know. So so Which may or may not be answered, Liz. I understand. It's early days here. Uh, no 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 just a week after Eric's I, comic not, unveiling. It is not necessarily a twi hard story. It's it's a human interest story. So your mother's a twi hard. Her is. baby boy is out here. I, I am. Okay. A, a drift in the sea. <laughs> a drift in the sea. Without you, agent or manager. You land a role in breaking dawn. Uh-huh. You had to have called your mom, yes? I did, yeah. No, no, I want to know what that was like, what her reaction was, what it felt we like have it for on you video. to be able to tell your mom this. I mean, there must have been, it just must have been overwhelming. I found out. Don't start crying. I found out at night. Don't, um, don't start crying on my podcast. We had that last week. Sweet uh, boy. That's why there's that little uh, cushion over the microphone so that my tears don't go in and short, <laughs> short the circuits. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tear guard. <laughs> Um, Tears of love once again. I found out at night on the on the west coast, so I found out about ten o'clock, mm. and downstairs in this house actually, so, with the camera in the room. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was all such very, a trickster. I am very clever. It was all very clever. Clever girl. Uh, so of course, yeah, I had to call her. You know, and I was 
I was a mess. Oh, I was a mess. Uh, you know, that, that kind of ugly crying where it's like the tears are blending in with the snot or blending in with the spit and the whole face is just lit up. Yeah. Like I, it was, oh. it's an awful, oh. awful scene. Again, we have it on, we have it on video. It um, we have every yeah. runny. Get to relive every beat over and over again. And, uh, 1080p. So I called her up, even though I'm knowing full well it was 1 a.m. back on the East Coast and she was probably passed out. But um, she was sleeping. Your mother is not an alcoholic. Yeah. (laughs) And um, so she picked up and, you know, a little groggy, like, and of course, me on the other end, I'm a mess. And so she probably thinks like I'm on the side of the road somewhere, having just been in a horrible car accident or something like that. And so awesome. I tell her, mm-hmm. and you know, I pull the phone away from my ear because she starts like groggily screaming at the top of her lungs. Awesome. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so, so good. And so her and I have a couple moments where it's just like, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Oh, which part? Yeah. And she, of course, she knows exactly who it is right away. Sure. You know, she being, knows your fan fiction being too, the twihard sure. that she is. And, um, she wanted to know who Charlotte was going to be. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Was, awesome. So How hardcore is that? Yeah. So uh, it was. It was. Which we didn't know yet. Charlotte was. Great. I don't. Charlotte was cast after you. Charlotte, who at the end of the day ended up being played by Valerie Curry. Yeah. Right. Sweet sweetheart. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. And no, now it was, a, it was great. And is mom coming out for the premiere? She is. John yeah. L is rocking her first Hollywood premiere for She's, Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part well, 2. What's funny about it is I even told her before I came out here, you know, she would be she'd be my date to the first any any premiere of any significance I ever went to, you know. That's that, awesome. And so yeah, her her And flight. we should just say for the record and I'm allowed to say this because it's my podcast. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with it said Jack Morrissey, partner of Bill Condon. But Eric Odom is not homosexual, <laughs> bringing his mother to his premiere. As you will, as sharp-eyed awards watchers will often note that nominated actors who bring their mothers to award shows are usually, in fact, gay men. Just saying. Just saying, but, but our mm. listeners know, your listeners know, about when their wives look like their mothers, because I see a lot of that on the red carpet these days. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, women. I'm not, I'm not, no, 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 no. Stop it! I'm not gonna name any Stop names it. unless you, you ask me to. Do you understand how much love he has? Because the, 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 those men who have wives that might look like a mother, I, it, it, they become so much more endearing to to many women around the world. I'm just throwing it out there. Um, <laughs> so, mom, that's great. Yeah, so she'll be out. She'll be out in November. She'll yeah. be rocking Tent City, 2012. She'll be rolling down. She'll Nokia fit, Plaza, she'll downtown Los right Angeles. In. She'll fit it right in. She gonna wear a Team Peter T-shirt? Uh, I don't know yet. Well, I haven't even thought we, that Team Peter, on. the nomadic mm-hmm. fuck machine. No, no, no. We have to get a clean one for her. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, Michelle maybe, Tompkins, maybe the uh, Twilight yeah, Team Peter, Twilight the Cougar really is gonna boy. need to do a G-rated. Team Peter T-shirt. <laughs> the good son <laughs> machine. Totally. <laughs> Jumping back in, though, real quick, mm-hmm. of, of certain interest to Twihards, one of the things that you and I talked about right after you learned that the part you'd been cast for is the was the is the Southerner, yeah. Peter, um, you sort of had a, well, not you personally, but things could have been a little different had the had the character been cast 
and featured in David Slade's Eclipse. An eclipse, yeah. Which he easily could have been. Could have been. And yeah. sort of maybe should have been, by all rights. I mean, that's where it's happening. Yeah, because he's, I mean, Right before, in that uh, flashback to Jasper's origin that you get in the middle of Before Eclipse. I auditioned, you know, I read Breaking Dawn to, you know, read all of Breaking Dawn to get the, the, the Peter bits out of, or all not of the it. Peter bits, but the, the bits of the story and to try and put, put together the sides and everything. And, right. And then after finding out, you know, Peter, you know, read Eclipse um, for the Peter parts and also you know, reread Breaking Dawn for it. So yeah, he is in that, that, that section of the backstory. Yeah. You know, in the book at least. It's a good thing that, I mean, there was the, in Jasper's origin sequence, which we see in Eclipse, there's that one newborn that we see Jasper sort of, I think we, I, I think we see the newborn turned. We certainly see the newborn sort of taught in a fraternal way by Jasper. And then Maria, forces Jasper to kill that newborn whose name I don't remember a say 12 or 13 year old boy so I mean there's certainly there were other characters beyond Jasper featured in that origin sequence in Eclipse and it you know given how mythology driven the Twilight Saga is and how um how high the awareness level is on the part of everyone involved on the production side of these movies are of the unbelievable um, obsessiveness of the Twilight fandom toward Mm -hmm. all the characters in the mythology. I mean, it it really is, had things just been, had creative choices or decisions been made two inches in any direction, you know, off differently in any direction on Eclipse, Peter, Peter and probably just Peter, less, less Peter and Charlotte, but just Peter could certainly have been featured in Eclipse. It's interesting. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um I think we'll probably closer to the release of the movie, we will have you back to um well certainly now you can drop in any old time just to talk about whatever junk is in the multiplex over the weekend. But yeah. we'll have you back to um talk about talk more about what the actual experience of uh preparing to go to work in Baton Rouge and then Vancouver and then actually going and doing the work for the many months that you were in particular uh, particularly Louisiana Louisiana yeah um closer to the release closer mm-hmm. to November I think yeah um that seems about real right. quickly just since it seems since we've gone through your origin story and then our joint origin story of having met each other in Virginia we should just say that um for those of you there are so many I think of your Twitter followers and certain my certainly my followers or our Facebook friends who listen to these podcasts. We should say that we were recently back in Virginia for a small project that we've hatched to uh this is exactly the project that I actually hatched the first night I was stoned, Matt Cohen. Those notes that I made before I lost it <laughs> at the pizza the pizza place. Exactly. Just open those doors right up. Um the fr- the as I what as the um, the creative uh, marijuana thing started working its magic on me, <laughs> the first thought was a resuscitation of this idea that I've had rattling around in my head for a while. The very next thought, like a second later, was, oh my God, this, this could be like a very small, um, affordable, independent film that we could actually make 
that would give Eric and I a chance to work together myself as director and Eric as actor. Yeah. Um, so the two, the, that, uh, idea that I've had for a while and then the idea that of plugging you into that idea and the two of us being able to work together and then very quickly within days after that and the first of a great many synchronicities that have sort of followed, um, that brilliant blaze blazing moment, um, came the idea of shooting it in Virginia, certainly shooting it in the South. And then, well, why can't we just shoot it in Virginia? And then literally we're probably going to set at least some part of it, uh, on Fort Monroe. And so Eric and I, and Adam Cook, Mike Enriquez, Eric Diaz, Mike Willer, um, and Mark Gilpin from Texas. All the rest of us are still, are uh, currently, living in Los Angeles. So I went back to Virginia recently for, uh, like a five day sort of be in the, be in Virginia, feel Virginia, uh, on your skin, sort of, I would say creative exploration more than a location scout. So, um, we took Mark Gilpin, Mike Willer and Adam Cook collectively ended up taking about 3000 photographs. We think, (laughs) Got a scout. At some that, point, I'm going to get the, some of those, aren't I? Uh, I just got the Flickr link from Mark Gilpin about two hours before we started rolling on this podcast. And so we're going to sequence them most critically. And then we're going to, we'll, you know, load them up to Flickr or we'll open the album, however the Flickr system works. And um, Eric and I will both have links posted to those uh, on our Facebook pages. So you won't be able to glean really anything about what this movie, which is still sort of in its, in its very, um, germ, germy, infancy. germinal, infancy. Know, infancy, nascent, um, larval, pupa, stages. caterpillar. Early days. Um, yeah, it's early days as the movie business expression goes on the movie. So who knows what the movie will actually end up being, if we're lucky enough to be able to get it made, um, you certainly won't be able to tell anything about what it what it could potentially be from the photographs that we're going to put up. It's not like we're going to show photographs of a secret Mayan temple that we just hacked our way to in the middle of the Peruvian jungle or something like that. Um, but uh, you'll get a you'll get a sense of our shared motherland of what Virginia looks and feels like because a lot of these photographs I've seen already are phenomenal and offer you what Bill often talks about uh, wanting from really good movies and certainly really, really good horror movies is an incredible sense of place. Alien, Poltergeist, Prince of Darkness, Exorcist, Exorcist 3 for Georgetown. Um, we're, We're not making a horror movie, but there's definitely something to be said. What's that? Flesh Eating Mothers. Have you ever seen Flesh Eating Mothers? No. <sighs> where's I've seen it, a horror where's film. It set? You, has not, you have not? There's like 10 million horror movies I've All never right. seen. Where's it set, to... though? What's so great about the sense of place? Small suburbia. Oh, really? Okay. America. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, our working title for this thing is Tidewater Project. So look for that on Facebook. Um, before we close out, I just want to, I think, what is timely um, and what we should not hold for closer to the release of the movie is uh, 
Comic-Con mm-hmm. last week. We all went, even Cohen, yep. who if you've even listened to episode Cohen. 38, <laughs> no, Cohen. was in the room, was in the <laughs> hotel room for Comic-Con CryFest 2012. Um, Eric, why don't you lead and uh, just give us a sense of what Comic-Con was like from uh, your perspective? It's an interesting thing. It's my. It was my third year going down. Uh, I've gone down the past two years. The first year was first experience, so it was the convention floor and all of that. Last year, it was a lot of Hall H. You know, snuck down, was behind us, mm-hmm. was watching. I got. I was in Hall H for part one. You know, just to kind of get a sense of the atmosphere. Right. And um, then you know Prometheus and check just kind of the, the the nerd stuff in Hall H last year. And this this year was the first time for work, you know. So going down, uh, surprising the fans Wednesday night. You awesome. Know, awesome. Being, being one of the fans was surprised. Awesome, yeah. And with the hardcore fans, what, what's so nice about it is, you know, they brought us out for, you know, they had us at the part one premiere as kind of an unveiling of us, you know, last November. Right. And On the so-called black carpet. Yeah. The, the Twilight fan- has become, Twilight premieres have become known for. The fans you see at the premiere are the same hardcore fans that you're going to see camping out for Hall 8. You see a lot of them popping up over and over again, you know? Yeah. So you develop a rapport with People the hardcore like women ones. like your mother. So, well, yeah. <laughs> totally. So um, going down there Wednesday night, you know, it's it's nice to see the fans who camp out that you don't know and meet them. But it's also nice to see the girls you do know, you know, and say say hello again. <laughs> you know, and then uh, and you've no, started to refer to them as your warm spot. Yeah, the, when you're in the middle of nice. the, when you're in the eye of the hurricane. Whenever you're in the middle of something that intense, you know, you're always looking for someone that you know or a friendly face that you can go over and kind of dock with for a second, recharge your batteries a little bit, and then go hit it again. You know, and so that's what's been so nice about it, and especially I think it's the fandom in general is. You know, you, you you connect, you know, these people, you you develop it. And over time, you know, you get closer and closer with people. And for me, who who's someone who's come in so late. And you know a lot of these women by name. By name, yeah. Including you, many, many women who you just know from your own Twitter feed. Yeah, you, you see. Dana, who's been trying to get you verified on Twitter since the day Dana's zero. Dana's been working her ass off. Shout yeah. out to Dana. Thank you or for Allison. your efforts. Yeah, yeah. And Allison, who's totally yeah, so on top of it. Um. So you develop a rapport, and it, it's nice. I can't imagine what it's like for you know those Cullens who have been in it the whole time, you know, and and have experienced it from the beginning. Because I've come in so late in the game, and it's just it's still so incredible to me, you know. So, uh, and then seeing those girls Wednesday night, knowing that they're going to be in Hall H, you know, the following day, and that yeah. was all a surprise, you know, maybe a little bit less so after we fan surprised them Wednesday night, but we weren't announced to be on that panel, you know, right. Right. So it was a, a little bit of a surprise, and that's just, you know, uh, unbelievable. Right. You know, Hall H. Hall H watching, looking at the stage is so different than Hall H being on the stage. Trying you know? to see the f- first three rows beyond which is it's just Pitch blackness, black, right? And it's just flash bulbs come at you. That's it. It's incredible. Yeah. How about the... Um, how about the reception you were afforded in Hall H by certain women from team jack in addition to in my opinion many many other oh, women that led rob pattinson um an actor you may have heard of who's played the part of edward cullen in these movies to turn to 
Kristen Stewart and say, who's that? Was it Kristen Stewart he turned yeah. to? Yeah. <laughs> you can want, you can see it on on the uh, on the video of the panel. You're kidding. Did you guys never meet during the film? We did, but it was a. Because um, I keep hearing the story, and I never wanted to say that, but now I'm going to say well, it. No, because like you were in a movie together. What it what it is? What's so funny is in part two. There's by that point there are 40 people on stage. There's so many people on set. So you this have, moment is happening in Hall H, where every pe- have, Eric is given a thunderous. Yeah, you Reception. have you have you have people that you have passing conversations with, and you know, and Rob and I ha- have had conversations, but especially, I mean, Rob, Rob, Chris, and Taylor, you know, it's so much for them; they kind of keep to themselves a little bit. So it's it, it's one of those it's one of those things. You and know? and I think the read also isn't like who is this person, but like who just came out. I mean, because it's person after person after person, and Rob is on the other end. He's all the way down table. at the other end of the table. So it's not like... I, I he has no idea who's 10 miles down that stage. Right. Yeah. So I don't think the read necessarily is, who is this person walking on stage I've never met before, but another yeah. read is, yeah, who are they yeah. reacting to? And he's looking up and he's smiling and he's kind of, uh, you know, giving a nice egging on, good for you kind of smile. I think Rob was totally bemused by it. It's pretty yeah. Which is my favorite word of the last two weeks, having had... <laughs> <laughs> Ian McKellen is a house guest who is in a permanent state <laughs> of amusement. Amused. I got to yeah. tell you, just a, and Eric is probably too humble to say, but you know, being being out in Hall H in the audience, it was a really cool moment for us too because you know the the team Jack women we've gotten to know you um, through the last several months, and certainly you had your own followers prior to Team Jack, and then to hear the applause as I was sitting a few rows back from Team Jack, and no, it was not just coming. Yeah, Team Jack. It was huge. It was the biggest applause of that of anyone. That it was came crazy. Out there. It was wild. And yeah, it, it was, was so crazy that my first yeah. thought was like, "Huh, I wonder what Summit Marketing thought of that." It was. It was. Like, I wonder. Who, it who was they, interesting. Yeah, yeah, how they how they would explain it, and then immediately, uh, I was on the phone with Bill from in London, mm. and told him about the moment that had happened. And as I laid it out and then repeated, um, having heard Rob's remark, uh, Bill's reaction was, cover your ears. <laughs> he loved it. He was totally delighted by it. He thought it was awesome. It's great. So, yeah, it was. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's such a great ride. It's such a great yeah. ride, dude. Well, we, and being being next to last to come out as far as who they were announcing, you know, Joe Anderson's yeah. the last guy. Yep. Next to last. A lot of time to think about it standing on those stairs, you know, and then you come out and you're hit with like this wall of sound. You, know, you the can only see thing- a great video, by the way. I was actually in Hall H, so was not side stage or backstage to shoot anything. Yeah. But you can see an amazing video on my Facebook page and all my Facebook posts now are by default public posts. So anybody who just looks me up on Facebook, I think it's facebook.com slash the real Jack Morrissey with two R's and two S's. Scroll down my page and look for the link that I put up of video footage shot by Ian McKellen's webmaster, Keith Stern, of the of uh, Richard Armitage, Martin Freeman, Andy Serkis, and Ian McKellen all waiting to be introduced by Peter Jackson, who was already seated at the table uh, on stage in Hall H. And what you watch as Ian sort of goes up the stairs and waits for his introduction as the first three guys are introduced and go out. And then you watch Ian go out and you hear what we came to understand was a standing ovation in Hall H, which I think is is a six is six or seven six or seven thousand seats. Uh, between I think it's, it's sixty five hundred seater. 6, crazy. 
standing O for Ian McKellen, which, by the way, just because it's San Diego Comic Con and it's it's really you know the people who are the fans who are most receptive to any given uh, movie, they don't I they don't stand routinely. Hall H does not stand routinely, and it must be noted Hall H did not stand for Eric Odom, but. One corner of Hall H, one corner of Hall H lost their shit for Eric Odom, and that was completely unexpected. Great, yeah, it was uh, just another great sort of stop on this amazing Breaking Dawn ride for you. You know, awesome, awesome, incredible. And and I have to say, shortly after that, there are a few people. I I got the story a few times that ran into Eric post the Comic Con panel, Mm -hmm. and. one of my friends who'd already met Eric and had the opportunity to introduce some new fans. And it was, you know, they, they came away with quite the little fangirl story about how amazing Eric is and well, they got to meet you and how genuine and real you are. It was great. What's nice about it, I mean, especially coming from from a nerd's perspective, you know, and a Comic-Con guy who goes there every year now you know hopefully done three of them with me before this three yeah so this is yeah. my third consecutive and you know okay. hopefully it'll be a yearly thing right you know it's the thing about being a nerd or being a hardcore fan of anything you know it doesn't necessarily matter what it is you know we all have our things you know exactly the big basketball guy when i was a kid you know mm-hmm. michael jordan you're still a big basketball guy yeah still a big Huge. basketball guy and horror movies you know and it's just like you want to go to dinner Nah, dude i'm watching the uh get, Watching the draft. Watching the Minnesota Timberwolves lose another basketball game. <laughs> <laughs> the worst. Um, but it's like we're all... How stoned are you? Okay. <laughs> if the Vietnam draft was televised, uh, Matt Cohen, it would be the Hunger Games. Okay. Moving on. We're all nerds, so we all have our things, and you know we get these, it. These girls just happen to be Twilight nerds, you know, and exactly. It, and it's you know, regardless of you know the size of my part or what what part of the universe I am, there's I think there's a responsibility that comes with that. You know? Well, you're a named character. Me, me. You're not just you're not that bald guy from Eclipse who's standing behind Riley Beers. Yeah, exactly. Who comes out of the lake and is pivotal in that battle? Who is probably a stunt man. Mm-hmm. Um, you are a named character a character that stephanie meyer created named conceived and developed a backstory for Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean without a doubt you know there's a huge responsibility i think that comes with that you know meet that expectation and 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 genuinely connect with these people because at the core they're connecting to something so deeply and we all have those things you know definitely so let's hear it for obsession yeah all yeah. about and it's it. just, and that that is let's hear it for obsession be be passionate about something it's better totally. than drifting through you know totally and i would say i don't want it to turn into what bill calls log rolling in our time where we're all just uh, slapping each other's backs uh, on mic but uh, we i mentioned this in last week's episode but you and i are totally I th- we're constantly talking with each other about how rare and incredible this whole thing is and how grateful it's electric the appropriate reaction is to be grateful and to enjoy it but to really be very very grateful for it you know yeah um i've met so few of them famously which i think is why i only have uh six thousand followers on twitter or whatever i think i'd have sixty six thousand if i actually said that i palled around with rob and Kristen and stuff but 
Um, the only one of the so-called big three that I've met is Taylor. The yeah. thing that I love about Taylor, I haven't spent that much time with him, but the thing I love about Taylor is uh, Taylor seems completely and totally uncomplicated about this moment in his life and enjoying the happiness that this that this moment brings with it. Totally uncomplicated about it. Not uh, There's no discomfort on Taylor Lautner's part about being Jacob Black in the Twilight Saga. I think that's awesome. It's great. Because you know what? People get older. People lose their hair. People get paunchy. It's much tougher for actresses than it is for actors. It's tough for any actor and for a lot of writers and directors who find success in any given decade in the movie business to carry that success out of the decade in which they first found success. So chances are none of this is going to last forever for anybody. Um, enjoy it. Enjoy your life, you know? Yeah, for sure. And keep wandering around. Keep going back to Virginia. Keep being... Um, being a what? Liz, do you have anything to add about your Comic-Con experience? <laughs> and yes, Matt Cohen, we're, we're running long. We're running long. Uh, no, I, I talk too long. So I'll just say, yeah, it was, uh, it was amazing. It, my first Comic-Con experience felt slightly nauseous the whole time. <laughs> oh, that, Loved oh, that's every normal. minute <laughs> That of never it. goes away. New friends, old friends, surprising uh, places one ends up in the middle of the day or the middle of the night. It was a blast. It's crazy. And yet here we are a week later. I put that post up on my Facebook wall at 3 a.m. this morning, basically going, oh, my God. Just a week ago this morning, I was here's a I was waking up in a sleeping bag in the in the line capital T capital L, um, with a view of Comic Con from the ground, mm-hmm. and it's like only a week ago. And Comic Con for me, my tenth consecutive Comic Con this year is something that you, it's like an endurance. It's like the tough mutter or whatever they call that thing. Um, you get through it. You grit your teeth. You find moments of pleasure when you do. Sure, there's some aspects of it that are hassle-tastic and stuff, and you are moving with a giant teeming mass of humanity. But a week later, you're sort of like, oh, I wish I was back there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll see. I can't wait to process this when I, when I leave. I, I, when you I'm still in time and life to process it. Yeah, yeah, and distance, geographic distance uh-huh. as well as more time. It was awesome. I... Totally blessed all week. Great people. Great memories. It was terrific. Meanwhile, as I'm taking out the trash, that great (laughs) faux trailer from Last Action Hero for uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character doing Hamlet, something's rotten in Denmark and Hamlet's taking out the trash. (laughs) As I'm pulling the trash cans out from the side of the house to, to the front of the house today, and Matt Cohen pulls up and falls out of his car on both feet, on both feet. Cohen's, Cohen says to me, or I, Cohen says, dude, how's, your, how's the rest of your Comic-Con? I answer in broad terms. I return the favor and the question. And Cohen says to me. Oh, yeah. This was the first day I've recovered fully. Like last night I was in this. I was dizzy. I couldn't move. I was dizzy. It, I would. Record, it's Thursday. Yeah, about a week. I went. I went. Parti- <laughs> I went particularly hard this Comic Con. I got my voice back today for the first time in four days. Not your first Comic Con, right? Uh, no, my third Comic Con. Okay. But I hadn't been in two years. Okay. 
So my first Comic Con in a while. Uh, best Comic Con by far. Yes, Best week of my life. I had I had a different experience than most. I decided um, I was going to do my comic conning after the hours of the floor closing. <laughs> so I, I'd say the entire That's I was there Wednesday smart. to Sunday. I'd say I did about um, three hours combined on the floor for a total of seven dollars spent. That's what I spent on the floor of the convention center this nice. year. And uh, every night I was out till. 8 a.m. or so. Every I think, night till 8 a.m. I think <laughs> when I got home, I still had all my bracelets on from all the parties, and I think I was up to 12. I looked like I had the Infinity Gauntlets, like I was Thanos, but of free alcohol. Tell us about Nerd HQ. Nerd HQ was really cool. Um, I, uh, Nerd a- well, True Blood Playboy Party was insane. There were like, it, they recreated the sets from the show. Uh. Wow. So you were drinking in like Merlots and Fantasia and there were people on poles and they were giving everyone fangs to be fitted with and there were Cajun food trucks. So that was really cool. Walking Dead Party was particularly cool. Right. It was in the baseball stadium right. and they had zombies mixing throughout the crowd right. and guys dressed as Rick and Shane right. who would come in and take them out with like air pistols and shit. Awesome. And you could just, pose with, ran- you could just pose with random zombies and stuff and all the furniture was rotted away and it looked post-apocalyptic and they built empty storefronts and all that shit and then but the, my favorite was um was nerd hq which is zach levi's party which was actually uh with a uh, nerd machine to benefit operation smile which is a charity they do for uh cleft palettes which they raised like a ridiculous amount of money this weekend what's up kids with cleft palettes and i believe hair lips also just restorative uh mouth surgery um that was that was just literally just a, a, a empty bar with a stage and a dance party for six hours a night. I danced like seven hours a night for for the entire weekend. My feet, I had trench feet, dude. Like people kept asking me, I had not a thing. I had a huge blisters. People kept asking me how my con went, and I would say my nights are amazing, but I pay for it all day, every fucking mm-hmm. day. Recovery by by Friday night, I could no longer make human noises come out of my mouth. I lost my voice. None. I lost my voice for so. I used. I carried around a card for the rest of the week and then said, "Hi, my name is Matt." Because people kept coming up to introduce themselves, I would have fucking nothing. I was. It was fun. This is that's the way to do it, though. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll be yeah. honest. I did the floor the first year. Floor is intense. Like too many people. You, you know, can't walk me. around. Even walking the floor. I, I, yeah. I would try to meet a buddy of mine, and it would take me fucking 40 minutes to move from one end to the other just because of the mass of people. And then you'd hit the fucking Weta booth, and you wouldn't be able to push through for an hour. The, the it was, being Looking 10 feet on any side of you and going, I want to go over there, and then spending the next 15 minutes figuring out how you're going to do it. Uh, I can't I'm roll with that. Like, again talking about too it. Much, you know? <laughs> too much. It's just so uh, Which is, yeah, I'm not, not into that. Amateurs. The parties at night are worth it. Though. Amateurs. I mean, it's good stuff. Yeah, next, I'm going to go back next year and... and kind of be a night guy i think i like that it was yeah. a real fun unwind that's how i'll always do it and the, the other thing the was too it was getting to party with peers which i never really do and it was getting to party with like-minded you know geeky people it was really yeah. fucking fun mm-hmm. like it was by the way you owe us for this podcast what do you mean uh yeah no uh we're gonna yeah well it, it actually rhymes a lot with landis no 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 we introduced, but you met you met Max. Well, right? It's it's cool being in a play. I ran into Max. Yeah, yeah. I never met him, but we have a bunch of mutual friends. So it's like you run into him in in the elevator, and it's like that's it's what's cool about that, San Diego. Yes, and that was the coolest Happens moment all the time. That was the coolest moment for me. This Comic Con, especially, was even first night of that Twilight party, uh, which which I was lucky enough to to attend. 
Is that supposed to be a secret? I don't, I don't know. But uh, there was that moment of, well, that was the thing. I was randomly at this party, but once I was in there, I knew independently like 20 other people That's there. Awesome. So I quickly realized like, holy shit, I know a lot of people now. I, didn't, I, didn't, I, I definitely felt like I belonged. Even though I was a professional plus one this weekend, once I was there... I knew everyone, so it was. It the was majority super... of LA's nerd culture makes its way down. To totally, San Diego. it was super it's cool. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So it was a good time. And then the thing I have to I have to say in ten years of doing it is that yes, the nerd culture in Los Angeles does make their way down, and people who you don't really maybe see as much as you should, which I chalk up to adult life, and also some relationships have what one guy in my life refers to as expiration dates. You grow apart, you get older. Suddenly, all these people want to have dinner with you in San Diego. And it's like, dude, we haven't hung out for like a year, but yeah. we're both in Comic Con now. And you're looking for dinner. It's like, why? Because we've both come all this way to Antarctica, I mean, San Diego. Yeah. And we're sharing the one igloo. I mean, we're in the Marriott. It's ridiculous. My favorite analogy was it's, it's geek summer camp. And of course, going back to my yeah. life, I would have been kicked out on the first day. Yeah. So it makes total complete sense. Shrooms at geek For summer. drugs. <laughs> For drugs. So, uh, not so nomadic Matt Cohen, former nomad Jack Morrissey, former nomad and now Angelino, Jack Morrissey, former nomad, and hopefully ne uh, present and future Angelino, Eric Odom. Yeah, Angelino, current, folks, by the way, is what people who live in November. Los Angeles call themselves and each other. Yeah. And uh, former, former nomad and current middle American Liz Lemon Bennett, all now... Uh, must say goodbye in the backyard and vanish into the tree line, which I believe is right from Stephanie's novel. Pretty sure about that. Anyway, that's what happens to nomads. They leave. Indeed they do. Yeah. And it's what happens. It's what's great about going back to Virginia is you have an amazing time there in that 98 degree heat and the 100% uh, humidity. And then you get on an air conditioned plane. <laughs> And you fly away home. So that's episode 39. I think you know how to find all of us on Twitter. Look for our Facebook page. Look for the Kyle Cummings illustration of the tiny cartoon emperor. Uh, also look for us on Twitter at team underscore Jack. We're on Pinterest at team Jack for the win. We are, we have a Tumblr account. Tumblr team Jack for the win. Pinterest just team Jack. Team Jack at Pinterest. Um, and I think that's the total empire. Uh, Eric Odom has a fan page. I do. On yeah. Facebook. Um, Is there a specific URL for that? Um, Just look up Eric Odom yeah. and you'll see his I headshot, which you'll, you, you'll see the same headshot that he's, that uh, currently is his headshot at imdb.com, the internet movie yeah. Just and look for the same picture in both Twitter, places. Twitter Eric is spelled E-R-I-K. Yeah. O-D-O-M is in Mark. Yep. Right? Mm hmm That's it. We'll see you again. We'll see you again. Hopefully sooner rather than later. Yeah. Matt Cohen, sadly, I will see you again. Very soon. Um, Team Jack episode 39, Nomads, out. <laughs>
This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Prepare to be smotivated by Smodcast.com's guru of gab, Kevin Smith. Pick up his new book, Tough Shit, Life Advice from a Fat Lazy Slob Who Did Good. Available now in hardcover, enhanced, digital, and audiobook. Learn who inspired Kev and be inspired to follow your dreams. It's like a Tony Robbins seminar on steroids and with a lot more fucking profanity. Neil Gaiman says, I suspect at that Kevin Smith is what all gods and demons aspire to be. And Tim Burton says, I certainly would never read anything written by Kevin Smith. Pick up Tough Shit, Life Advice from a Fat Lazy Slob Who Did Good by Kevin Smith. Available every goddamn where. Love movies? What a goddamn goinky-dink. So does Kevin Smith. Want to be on his weekly geekly talk show, Spoilers on Hulu? Kev is looking for people to watch this summer's big screen blockbusters, then sashay down to the Smodco Studios at Universal City Walk in Hollywood and talk about them. Sign up for the studio audience waiting list at smodcast.com slash spoilers. Do it! Do it now! <laughs> Smodco needs to put asses in seats for Dark Knight, Spidey, Total Recall, and more. Smodcast.com slash spoilers.